Father, may the words of our mouth that we just sang and what goes on down deep in our soul be acceptable in your sight. Because we know you hear one and you understand the other. Be pleased with everything we've done. Thank you for how incredibly grateful we can be to be in your presence. In your name we pray. Amen. Maybe seated. Dave, thank you. That was a wonderful set. Are any of you at the point in your life where you have to now write notes to yourself to remind you of things to do and then you can't remember to read the note? Any of you there? Uh, one of you. Okay. Yeah, I had a note to myself when I was doing the announcement to remind you during the next couple of songs if you didn't get a bulletin to go back there and get one because the sermon notes are in it. I just now realized I didn't say that even though I have it written down in really big, bold, black bulletin letters. So if for some reason you didn't get one, they are back there on those tables, but inside it is the sermon notes that I want to share with you this morning. How many of you know what this is? Any of you doesn't know what this is or has never seen one? Everyone. We've seen him for years, since 1974, Erno Rubik. All he ever wanted to really do was to try to teach his engineering class in a school in Budapest how you can take 26 individual pieces, move them around with that mechanical inside made of rubber bands, and they all still stay together and function. Even though they can be independent of one another, they can still stand solid. Now that, in and of itself, is a great teaching lesson. I don't think he had any idea how the thing was going to take off. 200 million of these things were sold within the first two years. The fastest individual to put this thing back together so that all the squares look the exact same, three and a half seconds. It's unbelievable. The fastest one hand, less than seven. The fastest with toes and feet only, 15 and a half seconds. I've had it for a week and I can't get it back together <laughs> in the right places. It's unbelievable. The problem was... When he mixed it up, he couldn't get it back together. Silence, as you have obviously demonstrated. And then some laughter, and then a number of suggestions as to how to put it back together again. Sadly, in the middle of all of that, his original point was somehow lost. And what he was just simply trying to say was not only overshadowed, in what took place, it was overshadowed by the gimmick. And you often wonder, did any of them ever even remember the original point or the power of the lecture? Because it got overshadowed by the illustration. The problem is, attention getters are something that all of us use, even as pastors. And if you only remember this morning the Rubik's Cube and the illustration that I shared with you, I lost you. And the essence of what it is that I want to say this morning is gone. Now, gimmicks do work. I understand that. And visual demonstrations are really powerful. I remember a lot of them. My staff is more creative than I am in some of that. Noah used one. It was an ark. Got people's attention. Moses used one, it was a staff. And basically he was saying to Pharaoh, don't mess with God. 
Jesus used them all the time. A coin, a fishing net, an olive branch, a towel, a basin of water. And so they are important, and they do have value. So don't misunderstand me. But what I say to every pastor, and especially every young pastor, you never, ever, ever want your illustration to overshadow the text. You never want the point, the pizzazz, the wow, to overshadow the power and wonder of the Word of God that you're declaring. And one of the things I love about Ron Walters, where I got and get a lot of my illustrations from him, is he says the exact same thing. We never want to sacrifice content for creativity. Nothing can ever take away the spotlight from the living, active power of the Word of God. It holds the answers to life and the future in your notes. It is the most powerful weapon we have. Hold it firmly, handle it carefully, declare it boldly, and watch it work. Now what I'm saying in all of this is in a world filled with lights and sound and information coming at us at warp speed, all of it can be so confusing and take us in so many directions that the most important things of life can get lost in all the confusion. And one of the things that certainly can get lost is the truth. Because if we're really honest, we're all wondering about that. What really is the truth? Who can I believe? Where do I go? Where do I find it? Certainly something we've been wrestling with throughout this entire year. We were told to do one thing and then another thing. We were told if we did this, it would all go away. If we were told to do that. CDC changed it to this. Others changed it to that. And then you add the politics to all of that. And then, of course, you add the election. I heard one commentator said, this election raised more people from the dead than Jesus did. <laughs> you add to that all the media issues from one end of the extreme to the other, and you try to find yourself, or you've already probably found yourself, trying to figure out which one do I believe? Who do I believe? Who's telling me the truth? And where is the truth? Well, somewhere between this and that, the truth is somewhere in the middle. I don't even know if that's true anymore. Because we find ourselves wondering about it all the time. And so I'm here to tell you this morning that there is one source of ultimate truth. And we can't let all the other things that clamor for our attention or look so flashy for keep us from the main thing. And the main thing is the Word of God. And that's where we want to make sure that we always understand that always can find truth in the Word of God. In these last few weeks, and in my last few weeks, which is interesting when I put those two concepts together, I really found myself sensing, God, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to share? And all I, for whatever reason, I kept going to 2 Timothy, and so I spent some time there, and I feel that's where I want to spend some time this morning, in 2 Timothy. I opened it up to that one particular passage, and I looked down at the bottom, and it said, the time of my departure has come. And I went, oh my goodness, that's not where I want to talk about it. Well, then I flipped over to the next page. I'm ready to be poured out. I'm offering myself. I'm going to go to see Jesus. And I'm thinking, okay, that's not where I want to be, Jesus. Certainly that's not what you want me to share, is it? He said, no, I want you to back up a little bit. I thought, thank you very much. And so I did. It's found in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and 3. Now, if you understand the book at all, or if you know anything about the book, or maybe you've heard others talk about the book, they will say things like, this is an older pastor by the name of Paul, an apostle who'd been around a number of years, trying to mentor a younger pastor by the name of Timothy. And so what Paul does is give him some really clear instructions on how to be a minister of the Word of God, how to be a pastor, how to be a leader, how to lead a church. And all of that is true, and all of that is wonderful. But if you only see it as a letter or two letters written to pastors, you miss the power and wonder of what it is that God wants to say. 
And if you only see it in that particular context, you'll ignore it or overlook it for so many other things that maybe relate to you personally. And it's written to all of us. One of those pieces of advice is in 2 Timothy chapter 2 where Paul said, do your best. That's to all of us. Not just to me when I'm declaring the word of God. This is to you, all of us. Do your absolute best to present yourself, you, to God as one approved. A worker. We're all workers in the kingdom. If you know Christ is your savior, you're a worker in the kingdom. A worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, who correctly handles and understands the word of truth. Look at a couple of statements to surround that verse. I love, go back to 14. Keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. There's no value. Only ruins those who listen. So do your best to present yourself to God. And then I love the 16th, avoid godless chatter. Saw an advertisement this week on TV the other night, and I'm probably going to get in trouble for saying this, of a famous TV preacher who for $39.99, you can buy this little gadget, put it on your table, push a button, and you'll get 400 or 500 or 600 of his favorite sayings. I want to do something for you. I got you the best sayings on the planet for free. They're right here. If you need one, I'll give it to you. Because the absolute best, greatest, most powerful statements on the planet are right here in the Word of God, and I'll give it to you free. That's what we need to be. That's what we need to understand. Look at what he says here in this context. 2 Timothy chapter 3. All Scripture. How much of Scripture? All Scripture is what? God breathed. Which means it's what? Useful. For what? Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the servant of God, if you know Jesus is your Savior, you're a servant of God. Can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living of the dead in view of his appearing and his kingdom. I give you this charge. Not just to pastors who are getting ordained. This is for all of us. Preach the word. Sometimes you got to use words. Live it out. Be prepared in season and out of season at all kinds of times. It doesn't mean in spring or August. It means all the time. Whether you're ready for it or not, it's going to come at you. People are going to wonder. They're going to ask you questions. Use it well. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Because there's going to come a time when people don't want to hear sound doctrine. Instead, they want to do things that suit their own desires. They'll gather around them a number of teachers who will say what their itching ears want to hear. They'll turn away from the truth and turn aside the myth. But you, not you, you can't do that. Keep your head. In a world that's confusing... And the world is coming at you from every direction under the sun. Keep your head. Use it wisely. Use it well. Do the work of an evangelist. Share the truth that you have found in God. And discharge all the duties of your ministry. If you are a follower of Christ, you are in ministry. Not just for those of us who are ordained who stand up here and declare the word of God. The Bible is for all of us. The words of God are for all of us. The Bible has influenced every possible thing that you can imagine. Literature is influenced by the Bible, the Word of God. Shakespeare, Milton, Mark Twain. The Bible is a key to unlock many of their works. To read and understand their works requires an understanding of the gospel, requires an understanding of the Bible. English language itself is influenced by Scripture. Countless times, authors and poets and politicians and storytellers have used various expressions in the Word of God. 
a man after his own heart, a thorn in the flesh, an eye for an eye, by the skin of his teeth, the patience of Job, extend an olive branch. This year has been apocalyptic. The Bible has and is the beating heart of language and literature. But we have to be in it, we have to know what it says, and we have to know how to use it because it has the answers to life. So it means we probably should be spending more time in the book than on Facebook. Look at the power of these phrases. Scripture is God-breathed. And you're, sick, you're 10 feet away, sorry. I know, is this not, you don't even know what to do anymore. If I cough, if I sneeze, oh my goodness, I don't know what to do. You know, kind of thing. Uh, scripture is God-breathed. Now many times, and I've done it too, many times we'll say what the Apostle Paul said or Moses said, remember the writings of David? And we'll use those authors who do all of that, and they did write all of that. What we forget sometimes is God told them what to write. So I will do it. Scripture says, instead of saying Paul said or Moses said or David said, Scripture says, God says, this is what I want you to say. This is what I want you to do. I choose books that I want to read more by an author than a title. This one is written by the God himself. I want to read that one. It's written by God himself. I want to read that one. Look at what it's intended to do. It's in your notes. It's on the screen as well. It's intended to teach. This is what I need you to know, God says. This is how you're going to get through life, God says. This is what God says. This is how to live. These are the lessons that you need to learn. I want to know all of those things. Don't you? I want to know how to get through life. I want to know how to live. I want to know what God says. Because I'm hearing everybody else tell me what they think about life. I want to know what God says. I want to hear him speak. It's also there to rebuke. Hey, I love you, but you're on the wrong path. As a matter of fact, God says, I love you so much, I need to tell you. When you get into certain sections of the word of God, it reminds you and I, we're on dangerous ground. Or you're on dangerous ground. You read a certain section, you're open to the spirit of God. You're open to the voice of God because he's the one that's speaking to you through the word of God. And he uses the word of God, and we pastors use the word of God, to say to certain individuals, out of love and tenderness, not out of condemnation, hey, you're on dangerous ground here. I mean, you're flirting with the devil. You're flirting with destruction. You're flirting with an enemy. You're flirting with divorce. You're flirting with adultery. You're on dangerous ground. So I want to tell you that. Out of love. Not out of condemnation, but out of love. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, one of those verses that I have in your notes for you. These things happen. What's he referring to? All of this stuff. Everything that I've written, everything that I've preserved. Heaven and earth are going to pass away. My word never will. So I kept all of these things as examples and sometimes were written down as warnings. The Bible can correct. Here's the right way. No, wait a minute. Here, here's the best way. Well, let me back up. Here's the only way. You know, there. I think I said this, but there are 43 quintillion ways to configure this out, but only one solution. Dude, that'll preach. There's only one way. Training in righteousness. This is how to live. Now, wh when I speak, when I preach, and I think most of us do as well as pastors, we use the NIV, New International Version. A and what's on the screen many times is the New International Version. And sometimes I'll have somebody in the audience say, what version are you using? Well, it's the Denny version of the New International Version. 
Because when I quote it, I quote it what I, what I believe that he's intending to say in that context. And sometimes I'll quote it and won't know exactly every word. I have memorized in my head the King James version of a lot of verses. And so when I quote something, it's kind of like the Denny version of the King James NIV all put together. But I love to read the message, which is a paraphrase of the Word of God. And in this context here, listen to what he says in the message. Hey, stick with what you've learned and believed. And be sure of the integrity of the teachers or the ones who's teaching you. There's nothing like the written word of God for showing you the way to salvation through faith in Jesus. Every part of scripture is God breathed and useful one way or another. It shows us the truth. It exposes our rebellion. It corrects our mistakes. It trains us to live God's way. Through the word of God, we are put together and shaped up for the task that God has for us. It's a great paraphrase of that version. Notice the balance of what he uses in this context here in a presentation of the Word of God. You want to use it for truth. You want to use it for training. You want to use it for correction. But you also want to use it for encouragement. I remember the early days of my ministry life. A couple of pastors and I would go to ministry conferences. And we felt like we walked away from the ministry of discouragement or the ministry of condemnation. And I felt like I looked at, well, I looked at Joel one day and I said, we're never going to make it. We'll never measure up what these guys think we ought to be and there were a lot of people in my early days who didn't think I'd ever amount to anything let alone be a preacher of the word of God and let alone last 43 years you probably if you are really honest may have known or yourself grown up in a church like that we felt like most Sundays or Saturdays or Sabbaths or whenever it was it was a ministry of condemnation that I'll never measure up to what it is God wants me to do. And what I love about the way it's described in here, it's used for truth. Yes, it's used for correction. Yes, it's used for training, but it's also useful for encouragement. Now, there's a danger on the other side because some churches are the opposite, all sunshine and flowers and not a whole lot of truth. So trying to find a balance. Look at what he says as he goes into chapter 4. Now, I hope, I'm sure you know this, but when, when Paul was writing it down, he didn't say, okay, because he would look over to a scribe because he didn't write all of it himself, he would look over to a scribe and say, okay, now I'm going into chapter 4. He just is sharing his heart, sharing what God is telling him. Our context, we look at it, chapter 4, verse 1. In the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in the view of the appearing of his kingdom, I give you this charge, preach the word. Be ready in season and out to correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Do you realize, now this is not just for us. Do you realize the weight of that you see what he's saying? Look, God's listening. Whatever you're doing, however you're living, whatever you're saying, however you're teaching, whether you're teaching a Sunday school class of two or a class of 160, whether you're teaching in an auditorium with 50,000 people or you're talking to two, God's listening. Jesus is there. Jesus sits right here. He's probably sitting right beside you, Heather. Jesus is here. So in light of the fact that God is here and God is listening and Jesus is here, we got to get this right. Right? Isn't that what he's saying? We got to get this right. Look at what else he says. We got to get this right in light of the fact he's coming back. So 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. For every one of us can receive what is due for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. So in light of the fact that God is listening, that Jesus is here, that he's coming back, that I'm going to stand before him. We've got to get it right. 
he also goes on, for the sake of the kingdom. For the sake of the kingdom. I mean, this is big stuff. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We've been praying that for 2,000 years. So for the sake of the kingdom, the kingdom of God, we got to get this right. we got to make sure we're listening to the right things. we got to make sure we're listening to the right people. We've got to make sure that we understand the word of God because that's where truth, in the middle of a crazy world, that's where truth can be found. He goes on. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't, it doesn't seem to let us off the hook at all. In light of God's judgment, we've got to get it right. God's judgment is found in Revelation chapter 20. I saw a great white throne. Him who was seated on it, the earth and the heavens, fled from his presence and there was no place for them. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened. The dead were judged according to what they had done and recorded in the books. Sea gave up the dead that were in them. Death and hell gave up, or Hades gave up the dead that was in them. And every person was judged according to what they had done. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. The first death is when we actually die. This is the second. Anyone whose name is not found written in the book of life can be thrown into the lake of fire. Every person on the face of this earth forever is going to stand before two judgments. Scripture indicates. Those of us who know Christ as our Savior, who follow Jesus, who have invited him into our life, we are going to stand in that one that's mentioned in 2 Corinthians. The judgment seat of Christ. And all that we've done, you can read the whole context, whether we've done the things that were necessary or it got burned up and we were saved. Every one of us who know Christ as our Savior are going to stand before Jesus. That's pretty big. Those who do not know Christ are going to stand in front of the great white throne judgment. And so that phrase that we've always used is your name written in the book of life. Your name gets written in the book of life when you embrace Jesus as your Savior. When you invite him into your life. So you're not going to have a part of this over here. You'll have a part of the one in Corinthians. But if your name's not, and you don't know Christ as your Savior, this defines and describes those who do not know Jesus in Revelation chapter 20. So in light of people's eternal destiny, we got to get this right. Right? That's what he's saying. And, and, and when he writes that section in chapter 4, he just keeps building on that. Look, hey, God's listening. we got to get this right. Jesus is here. we got to get this right. In light of the fact that we all stand before Jesus, we've got to get this right. In light of the kingdom, this is for the sake of the kingdom, we've got to get this right. In light of people's eternal destiny, for all eternity, we have to get this right. For the sake of all of those people, for all of the destiny of humanity, we've got to be in your sermon notes, true to the word of God. Look again at the balance. Correct, rebuke, encourage. With patience, which in your notes is our attitude. Careful instruction, which is our content. Which to me, ties right back into 2 Timothy chapter 2. Then do your best to make sure that you correctly handle the word of God. If you are writing in your sermon notes, interpret it correctly. Do not make it say things it doesn't say. Don't ignore things it does say. Interpret it correctly. Do not make it say things it doesn't say. Do not ignore things it does say. Part of what I was saying a couple of weeks ago, if there's very little you remember, you'll never remember how to spell my name after I'm gone. You can't even spell it now. But I, I hope you remember to always make sure you read the Word of God in context and you develop your theology on any given subject based on what the Word of God says about that subject. And sometimes I, 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 I wince a little bit when I hear people use certain sections of Scripture 
not necessarily within context. One of the ones that I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples. Jeremiah 29, a powerful section of Scripture. For I know the plans that I have for you, plans to make you prosper. Sadly, some churches use that to teach prosperity gospel. That was not his intention at all. His intention was simply to say to the Israelites, look, I know what I'm doing. You're in captivity right now. I'm going to get you out of captivity. You don't like where you're at right now. I have you there for a reason. I know the plans I have for you. I know what I'm doing. You have to decide whether or not you want to trust me. One of my favorite, one I've used all the time. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I've used that forever. It's one of my favorite. That's the King James Version. The NIV Version, which I think is closer, is Paul saying, look, I've learned a lot. I've learned to be content, whether I have a lot or whether I have a little. I've learned to be hungry. I've learned what it's like to be full. I get all of that. I know all of that. But there is absolutely no way I can do that without Christ who gives me strength. I can do all this, what he's describing in that section, through Christ who gives me strength. My house should be called a house of prayer, one of the ones I've talked about before. Is prayer essential to a church? Absolutely. It's foundational. The section of Scripture is my house shall be a house of prayer for all nations, which means everybody's invited to the kingdom. Matter of fact, the thing that made Jesus so angry is the fact that they were putting up barriers for people who were trying to get in to have a conversation with God. And they were trying to make them go through their barriers, which is why Jesus turned over the tables. When I first, as a follower of Christ, I thought because they were selling pizzas in the lobby. And that just makes Jesus mad when we do those kind of things. It's not the intention at all. Jesus said, you're shutting the kingdom in men's faces. Everybody is welcome into the house of God. My house will be a house of prayer for all nations. Everybody has a place at the table. I'm inviting everybody in, not just the Jews, but everybody has a place. We've got to be careful with sayings. When God closes a door, he opens a window. Not necessarily. I don't know where we come up with it, but many times then others have used that. Remember, God don't, won't give you any more than you can handle. Doesn't say that. It does say no temptation has overtaken you except it's common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted by, beyond what you can bear. Which simply means he will give you an out. You better take it. Well, I, I just couldn't help myself. Yes, you could. Yes, you could. You decided not to take the option that he gave you. No temptation is overtaking that's not common. Why is it important we do these things? God's listening. Jesus is here. The kingdom depends on us doing it right. People's eternal destiny depends on doing it right. Look at also what he says. Because there's going to come a time. In 2 Timothy verse four, chapter 4, verse 3. There's going to come a time when people won't want to put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they're going to gather around them a number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They're going to turn their eyes away from the truth, their ears away from the truth, and, and turn aside to miss. That's why it's important as well. It's important because God is listening. Jesus is here. The kingdom depends on it. We're going to stand before God. People's eternal destiny is dependent on us doing it right. And the problem is, and the reason we've got to do it right, because there's going to come a day when people won't want to hear the truth. And you and I both know, because you've heard me say it this morning, whether you believe it or not, you have to decide. But you and I both know this is truth. And this is where we will find truth. 
in a world where we're wondering where on earth is the truth, here it is, freely given to us by the power of the voice of God, who basically says heaven and earth, heaven and earth itself are going to go away. This never will. It's that important that God says at some point I'm going to destroy the whole thing and we'll have heaven forever described in Revelation 20 and 21. But I'm telling you, this will stand it all. It is the power of God to salvation. Many believe that we've been seeing what I just described there, he described there in 2 Timothy, where people will no longer listen to sound doctrine. Many believe that we're in, we've been in that world for years, and I wouldn't doubt it at all. But we are certainly in it now, all the way from Ivory League towers and institutions to elementary school. In a world filled with all kinds of distraction and confusion, there's only one source of ultimate truth. But we have to be in it, we have to know it, and we have to make sure of what it says because it has the answers to life itself. And we got to get it right. And if all you remember is this, I blew it this morning. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you for the fact that you preserved it. A lot of translations, a ton of access, get it on our iPads, our phones, everywhere we turn. It's written on a placard at the end of a football stadium. It's just everywhere. But it is the answers to life. And so we're so thankful that you've given it to us. You've preserved it. It has preserved the test of time. It's preserved historical times in history where the Hitlers of life wanted to destroy it wanted to burn it, but you preserved it so that we, in a very confusing world, would know the truth and we would stand solid on it. So help us as a church to do that well in light of all the things we've shared this morning. I'm so delighted that I can be a part of this church family and this group of people and this denomination who recognize that you want all nations to hear the truth of the Word of God because it will change their lives for eternity. Thank you for allowing us to freely share here this morning and for those who by their decision are here. Never want to take that for granted. Give us wisdom for the next few weeks. Give wisdom to every business leader, every administrator, every mom, every dad, every teacher, every student. The list is in every pastor, every Sunday school teacher, every small group leader. Please give us wisdom. You said if we lack wisdom, we can ask. And so we're asking you, we're begging you. Would you tell us what to do? What changes we need to make? Please be with our students, our children, our families, all of those who are making difficult decisions every day. We're all decision-weary, God, I'll be honest with you. We're very decision Help us to hear your voice. Thank you for, again, the opportunity to be here together this morning. Bless us as we move forward, whether it be online, whether it be in person, for your glory and by your grace. In Jesus' name, protect us, we pray. Amen. God bless you. Hope you have a really, really great day and a great week. Listen very carefully to any piece of information.